Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling's Potterheads of History, all about the Hogwarts houses. I'm Katie, and my co-host is Ellen. Today, we are joined by fellow Harry Potter podcasters, Demi and Jess, of the Half-Blood Princesses. We just recently had a blast recording with them for one of their episodes, and we had so much fun we wanted to make sure to have them on our show, too. So thank you so much for joining us, ladies. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Before we get started into the episode, we want our guests to share their Sorting Hat stories. So please, tell us about yourselves. Hello, everyone. My name is Demi. I am a very proud Hufflepuff. You can't see me right now, but I'm actually wearing my Hufflepuff hoodie I got in Universal. And my <laughs> wand is sycamore wood, 11 and 3 quarters inches with a phoenix feather core. My Patronus is a white stallion. And how I got into Harry Potter, this is going to be surprising, but I actually didn't read any of the books until I was 17. And I was the kind of person who, like, didn't want to read mainstream stuff. I wanted to find it on my own. And so I was like, I'm not reading Harry Potter. Forget that crap. And then when I was a senior in high school, I took a class where we got to pick any book we wanted and do a creative project on it. So I was like, oh, what the hell? I'll just read Sorcerer's Stone and fell in love with it. So that's how I started. And (laughs) I would also like to share my favorite book is Deathly Hallows. And... I actually met some of the cast. I met Bonnie Wright, the Phelps twins, Tom Felton, who is just as gorgeous in real life, and Matthew Lewis, Neville, mm. who is my favorite, and mm. I cried. Literally cried. <laughs> I probably would, too. I was say, that'd be me, all the way. I cried when I went to Harry Potter World in Orlando the first time, so, Yeah. I will cry it my first time. I know that much. Right. Ellen will get to see it. I know I'm going to record it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yay. (laughs) All right, Jess, what about you? Hi, guys. I'm Jess. I am a really proud Ravenclaw. My wand is Elderwood with a dragon heartstring core, and it is 10 and a quarter inches long. And my Patronus is a Borzoi. So a Borzoi is a Russian wolfhound, which is pretty cool. And they're super adorable. I have a little bit of a cute Harry Potter story. So first I want to say that I'm visually impaired and I read Braille just for context. So my teacher told us we needed to read something during silent reading time. And I went over to the Braille bookshelf in her classroom. And I actually had read all of the books on her bookshelves except for the books on the top shelf. So of course I asked her what the books were and she said they were Harry Potter. At the time she had books one through four. And I said, oh, I want to give those a try. And she goes, they're a little bit above your reading level. And I said, yeah, I don't care. I was only eight years old at the time, but I told myself that I could read anything and I didn't care how many Braille volumes they were. So my friend Hannah was also reading the books at the time, and I think she was on the third book. So when I started, it was a little bit of a race to catch up to her, but I was also curious because a lot of the kids in my school really liked Harry Potter and I wanted to know what the hype was all about. And, of course, I fell in love with Harry Potter, and really, the rest is history. 
Also, I remember that day going home and reading the first volume of Sorcerer's Stone and coming back the next day and going, I need the next volume. That was really fun. I loved talking to my friend Hannah about the books and we talked about them on our bus ride home, at lunch, that was all we talked about. And after I finished books one through four, I got books five and six from a Braille lending library. And it was very surreal because since the Braille books come in multiple volumes, it was like getting one box with two volumes in it at a time. And I remember I was reading Order and I didn't get volume 11, I got volume 12. So I made my mom read me the pages that were in volume 11 so I could get to volume 12 right away. That's probably one of my fondest memories. My parents also surprised me when book seven came out because Barnes and Noble was having a special and I was able to get it in braille. But sadly, I got it a week after it was published because shipping sucks. And so I had to plug my ears all around town because I didn't want to know what happened. Like, I wanted to read it myself, and I just remember that. No spoilers. And it was terrible. All of the kids at my school just wouldn't stop talking about it either. That's rough. Like, I took over a year to read the seventh book, but at least I didn't have school to go to and people to, like, want to mess it up for me, so... I think I was even out of college by then, so. Mm-hmm. Nothing got spoiled for me. Like, I didn't read until I was 17, and literally, I didn't, all I knew was Harry was a wizard, and he went to a school called Hogwarts. Like, that's all I knew. I didn't know anything at all, at all. <laughs> I must have lived under a rock for 17 years. That's absolutely crazy. My mom told me, I was 17 also, and my mom told me that I would like them, because my younger brother was reading them. Also, I want to add that when we were kids, my mom used to read books with us, and Harry Potter, she just couldn't get into because they were too long for her, and I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, my favorite book actually is Prisoner of Azkaban, and my favorite character is Luna Lovegood because she's awesome. I also took a quiz, and it said I'm basically her, so I'm happy about that. Nice. Nice. Prisoner of Azkaban is also our favorite. Yes! Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Love Azkaban. That's the book that we're currently on right now, too. That's awesome. I'm the odd one out. The one who likes Deathly Hallows. <laughs> That's my second favorite. I mean, Deathly Hallows is good. It's it's the best. It's not Goblet of Fire, so I like it. <laughs> Any book is better than Order, let me tell you that. Like, oh, I have a problem exactly. with Order. <laughs> I can't deal with Order. I can't deal with Umbridge, and I can't deal with Sirius dying. I can't do Order the Phoenix. <laughs> None to mention Caps Lock Harry. Yes. I kind of have a weird soft spot for Caps Lock Harry, if I'm being <laughs> honest, but that's me. I'm going to just keep rolling, unless there was anything else you wanted to add, Jess? Oh, yeah. If you guys haven't done this already, take the BuzzFeed quiz for your pets and see what house they're in, because my guide dog is a Hufflepuff, and I find it hilarious because it's totally accurate. <laughs> that's awesome. I actually just sorted my cats myself based on their personalities. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I already know that Betty's the Gryffindor, Stella is the Slytherin, Vinny is the Hufflepuff, and before we had to put Jack down, he was 100% the Ravenclaw. That cat was too smart for his own good. (laughs) I have no pets, but I'm pretty sure my child's a Slytherin. (laughs) But as you may have noticed, with Demi and Jess in the mix, we have all four houses covered. So for this episode... We're going to focus on the Hogwarts houses. We're each going to give some background on our houses, notable characters sorted into them, and some of our own experiences that prove that we were properly sorted. Let's get to it! 
We're going to go in alphabetical order, and that's not just because it puts me first. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) I deserve to be first. (laughs) And and me last. I would like to point that out. Don't think I didn't notice that one. It's alphabetical. It's not my fault. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, the Slytherin bringing up the rear. I am the Gryffindor. (laughs) Hear me roar. The founder of the Gryffindor house is Godric Gryffindor. The head of house during the series, obviously there's been more than one, but during the series, it was Minerva McGonagall. My favorite. I love her too. I love her. She's teacher goals. Colors are scarlet and gold. I actually made it a point to wear my scarlet (laughs) cardigan today. Yay. The mascot is a lion, which is why I said hear me roar. The house ghost is Sir Nicholas de Mimsy Porpington, a.k.a. (laughs) Nearly Headless Nick. Can we talk about how funny his name is? That's hilarious. It's pretty fantastic. Sir Nicholas de Mimsy Porpington. I kind of wish there was like the third at the end of that though. Like Nicholas de Mimsy Porpington the third. It just, that would flow so much better. At least the second. True. Or honestly, he could have been the first. True. And there was just after him. The Gryffindor common room is located in the Gryffindor Tower, which makes sense. (laughs) The entrance is located on the seventh floor and is guarded by an oil painting known as the Fat Lady. And Gryffindors must give her a password in order for her to reveal the entrance. And if they don't know the password, she won't let them through. Poor Neville. Which we just learned in Prisoner of Azkaban made Sirius Black Mm -hmm. very unhappy. So it was actually temporarily guarded by Sir Cadagan. My favorite. For a little bit of time in there in the third book. He got fired, though. Well, I mean, he was a... Because he was not as strict as the fat (laughs) lady. He was a little lax on the rules. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) But if they do know the password, then her portrait will swing forward to let them in. And behind it is a large common room with a fireplace. It's described as very comfortable. They've got the roaring fire stuffed armchairs, and a great view of the grounds from the windows. So Gryffindors like to meet there for study groups, celebrations, especially after Quidditch, when they win, or just to relax. There are two winding mahogany staircases decorated with crimson and gold. One leads up to the boys' dormitory and the other leads up to the girls. There's actually a charm on the girls' staircase that prevents boys from using it. But the boys' staircase is free game. That's because girls are more trustworthy than boys. That's problematic. Yeah, that's what the, the founders believed, that they were more mm-hmm. trustworthy. I don't know if that's accurate. Yeah, not at all. No, that's not. But Hermione could easily go up to visit Ron and Harry in their dorm, and they tried to one day and ended up sliding back mm-hmm. down. So I wonder what Ron and Lavender did. Ooh. Hung out in the common room, found <laughs> empty classrooms. <laughs> Yo, why hasn't Ginny ever visited Harry in his four-poster bed? Maybe she did. I'm not going to lie. There's a really good chance that she did while he was sleeping. Yes, I am. (laughs) She was was a little creepy when she was younger. (laughs) I can't right now. (laughs) And Ginny, imagine Ginny and Dane, what they did. You know they weren't sneaking off to empty classrooms and stuff. Well, Ron, they found him behind a tapestry (laughs) or something, didn't they? Yeah. (laughs) But the dormitories have four poster beds covered with thick scarlet blankets that are embroidered with gold. 
There's also gold chandeliers that cast warm glows all around, so the Gryffindor Tower definitely isn't lacking in gold. Which, I just gotta say, no wonder Harry likes it so much, because he is always on the hunt for gold. We talked about that not that long ago. Do you remember that, Katie? Oh, yeah. That boy is gold crazy. Like, he wanted to buy the solid gold cauldron. He wanted to buy the solid gold... The gobstones. Gobstones. Mm -hmm. He's a seeker, so he's really good at finding the snitch, which is gold. (laughs) He's basically a human niffler. Yeah. Yes, he is. Yes! Yeah, accurate. (laughs) But according to the Sorting Hat, you might belong in Gryffindor, where dwell the brave at heart. Their daring nerve and chivalry set Gryffindors apart. So they're daring... They've got nerve, they're chivalrous. And in addition to that, they're also considered adventurous and determined. Brave is another word that's thrown around a lot. But they can also be considered cocky and reckless and are more prone to doing or saying things without thinking than any other house. What? And as a Gryffindor, I wish I could argue with that, but I can't. That's not you at all. (laughs) I I don't understand crazy talk uh-huh <laughs> anywho the notable characters since this is the title character's house there's far more notable gryffindors than any other house in the series so i'm just gonna kind of list some of the most notable ones and focus on the ones that i consider to be the ones that i want to talk about anyway i think james and lily are pretty notable even though they're more like side notes than actual characters in the story minerva mcgonagall is best teacher ever and i love her so much i always think about how she speaks to umbridge when i think about her yes, that is my favorite yeah. scene ever in the books with her that is absolutely my favorite do you need a cough drop dolores <laughs> right she what did she say harry has as good a chance of becoming an aura as dumbledore has is coming back to the school and mcgonagall yeah. was just like a very good chance then like and the way she challenged her when she keeps interrupting her during class when she was observing her and she was like I wonder how you think you're going to get an accurate view of my teaching when you keep interrupting me you see I don't usually permit people to speak while I'm teaching or something along those (laughs) lines and it's just so sassy yeah and even Harry makes note of the fact that McGonagall gives him a hard time for losing his temper around her but she totally does too and yeah it's just so Gryffindor of her. Goddess. And Minerva is the goddess of war, so it makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. She's also it's a good the name. goddess of wisdom, so. Mm-hmm. There Definitely go. combines the two. So we also have Sirius Black, and I think this is especially notable because the rest of his family was Slytherin, so he was breaking the mold to become a Gryffindor. Remus Lupin. It's mentioned in the book that he's the only person that Harry ever hears, aside from Dumbledore and himself, to just casually use Voldemort's name. And I feel like that's a really good indication of Lupin's level of bravery. Mm-hmm. Pick a Weasley, any Weasley. <laughs> Ron! Do we have enough to choose I know from? exactly where to put you. Gryffindor! All of the Weasleys were Gryffindors. I feel like they're the, just the best family I ever. Love them so much. It makes sense to me. <laughs> But we can specifically talk about Ron Weasley since he's one of the Golden Trio. I actually, I don't know if this is going to end up being something you guys agree with or not, but I actually get really upset when people try to say that Ron should have been in Hufflepuff. Oh, I agree. I agree with you there. I don't like it when people say that. I don't think he's ultimately loyal or kind enough for that. Oh, yeah. He's definitely impulsive. Like when he leaves them in Deathly Hallows. 
He's a little too pig-headed to be a Hufflepuff, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think the one Hufflepuff trait he has is his love of food. Yeah. Yeah. But he's just sort of Gryffindor through and through. I want to say he's yeah. not loyal, though. He's very loyal to Harry, and he always comes back to him, so. But is it really loyalty if he leaves in the first place? If he were loyal, he'd never leave in the first place. Coming back is more of a brave trait. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because it takes courage to admit you are wrong. Mm-hmm. So I think it's his bravery that brings him back, not his loyalty. Yeah. He destroys the locket, doesn't he? Yes. So the fact mm-hmm. that he's able to destroy the locket really shows his bravery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it wasn't easy for him. His being brave isn't about being fearless. It's about being able to face your yeah. fears. I agree. Yeah. We also have Neville Longbottom. <gasps> yes, thank you. Oh, God. And I love him so much. When I reread the books, I will tear up just watching him grow up yeah it's especially amazing since we got to watch him grow into his gryffindor because mm-hmm. he started off just so unsure of himself and by the end he was just a genuine leader and his bravery was incredible i wept when he killed nagini like a legit i know cry. and the fact that he was able to pull gryffindor's sword out of the sorting hat because dumbledore said that only a true gryffindor can do that yeah so and just the fact that every, like, even the teachers that were nice to him were kind of, you doubted him right. every step along the way. And yet he still came up on his yeah, own. I love him so much. Yeah. Oh, don't even get me started. I'll talk mm-hmm. for hours. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm going to just move on then. <laughs> Our next Gryffindor is Hermione Granger. I'm Hermione Granger. And you are? And she's another one that I consider to be Gryffindor through and through. Mm-hmm. This is partially because I am very much a Hermione and I know like every test I take tells me that I am like 80% Gryffindor or more. And because I have so much in common with her, I just see her as Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. And I know other people try to say that they think she could have actually been in Ravenclaw. And I do think that she's very brilliant, but she's kind of closed-minded and I think that can really limit her and I think that it goes against Ravenclaw to be as closed-minded as she can be but there's never a moment where she really lacked for bravery mm-hmm. yeah just showing how like at the beginning she's like we can't break school rules what does she say like being expelled or something like we could get killed or worse expelled, expelled. right yeah and like at the beginning like you see her not wanting to break rules and chamber She's hesitant about the apologies potion, but it kind of becomes personal because she's muggle-born. And then after that, she's like, all right, guys, we're breaking all the rules. I don't care anymore. So you see her become brave and kind of embrace that throughout. Sort of like with Neville going into his bravery with Mm -hmm. Hermione. It's like stepping away from being a goody two-shoes all the time and looking at the bigger picture and knowing what's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think she definitely needed the boy's influence, but yeah, yeah, it was always there. If she would have gotten sorted into Ravenclaw, I don't think that it would have helped her live up to her potential. No. Right. Do you know what I mean? I agree. I agree. I mean, think about the part where she punched Malfoy. Like, she wouldn't have done that if she was just brilliant. That was 100% Gryffindor reckless. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Yeah. I love that part. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I was also going to say that Hermione has the stubbornness of a Gryffindor. Like you were talking about earlier about her being closed-minded. If she was a Ravenclaw, she'd never be able to answer those questions at the front of the common room. Because she'd be like, huh? There has to be one solid answer. Oh, yeah. Because those questions were more like something you had to reason through as opposed to there's a right or a wrong answer. Mm-hmm. If she couldn't memorize it yeah. in the book, she wouldn't know it. Yeah. But yeah, so I have two left. 
Albus Dumbledore. Albus Percival Wolford Brian Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Yes. Another mouthful of a name. <laughs> I could actually do an entire episode on Dumbledore alone, so I'm just going to try and keep this very succinct. This is my favorite character of the entire series. Book Dumbledore, not movie Dumbledore. I think they did movie Dumbledore dirty. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> but even though he was flawed, he was so intelligent and brave and willing to sacrifice just so much of himself for the greater good. Because more than once, he literally sacrificed his job to protect his students. Yeah. And he defeated or led the defeat of the world's two greatest dark wizards. With Grindelwald, that involved sacrificing much of his own happiness. And with Voldemort, it involved actually sacrificing his life. And I just don't think it gets much braver than that. Agreed. Agree. <laughs> and lastly, Harry Potter, our title character. Wait, who's that? What? Who? <laughs> the Sorting Hat did try to put Harry in Slytherin, but as we learn later, it's because it could sense some of Voldemort's power and therefore the heir of Slytherin's power inside him. Gotta yeah. be the Horcrux. It knew. It was the Horcrux, guys. That's my headcanon. <laughs> I think that's what was being implied there myself, so... Harry could definitely be cunning and ambitious at times, but I feel like a lot of Gryffindor and Slytherin traits tend to manifest in very similar ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I also think that's part of the reason that the two houses end up at odds a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. It just kind of creates the competition between them. They end up mm-hmm. like wanting the same things, but having different ways to go about getting them. They're kind yeah. of two sides of the same coin. Exactly, I feel yeah. Like. Yeah, both of them like, don't give up and they don't let Mm. down you know what i mean they'll just keep going and going and going and going and going like ambition bravery like it's a driving force and like they both have that so Mm -hmm. like nothing's gonna stop either one of them so they'll just keep going at each other you know yeah Yeah. i agree and both ambition and bravery lead to competition because if you're brave you're not going to give up and if you're ambitious you're not going to give up right yeah exactly but i think harry is definitely more gryffindor because he was always willing to stand up for what was right and definitely showed that Gryffindor recklessness at times. Like, mm-hmm. 11-year-olds going after a troll, anyone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that one of the bravest things that Harry had to do was walk to his own death. Yeah, definitely. He knew that he was sacrificing himself, even though that's not how it turned out in the long run. It still took an immense amount of bravery to make that walk. And then, of course, as we know, Harry was also able to pull Gryffindor's sword out of the sorting hat. So he was a true Gryffindor. That also Mm -hmm. shows the parallel between Harry and Neville, too, because they both pulled the sword out of the sorting hat and they both could have been the chosen one. Yeah. What I think is really neat about them, because they were both so brave, but for different reasons. Like Harry literally had this thrust upon him. Mm -hmm. Where he had no choice. He was the chosen one. This is what he had to do. And he had to figure out how to survive it. And he was very brave in doing so. Whereas Neville, I mean, he could have been the chosen one, yeah. But he became such a Gryffindor because he wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Like, he got to choose that himself. And I think in a lot of ways, Neville may have actually been braver. He worked hard to accomplish what he was able to accomplish. Neville was just such a Gryffindor. I was so proud of him. It literally, like, I feel genuine pride like he's a real person. And I tear up. Like, I get a little (laughs) choked up. I love Neville. Yeah, and I also think, like, he, like, didn't really get the support or anything from his grandma, you know? Be your parents. Be Frank and Alice. Blah, blah, blah. Like, Neville, like, 
he wanted to prove himself and also like going back to the thing about like him possibly being the chosen one he did play a role in the prophecy because it literally says the one with the power to vanquish the dark lord will be born at the seventh month dies and they both Neville fulfilled that too and he killed part of Voldemort's soul by killing Nagini mm-hmm. so he did actually still play a part in Voldemort's downfall yeah which I thought was awesome yeah. he deserved that what he deserved my angel (laughs) i think it's really poignant that the story is told from a gryffindor's point of view because gryffindors often have a lot of challenges put in front of them more so than some of the other houses and so it makes for a good story i believe okay i'm just going to interject to say i don't necessarily think that they have challenges put in front of them I feel like they run headfirst into those challenges. That's a better way of saying that, yeah. I was actually thinking that same thing. As the Gryffindor, I can say this without it coming across like an insult, but yes, we cause our own challenges. I don't mean it as an insult. We take them on. (laughs) I think that's what I meant. But like I said, I am the Gryffindor of the group, and this is how I knew that the test was accurate. I actually knew I was a Gryffindor before I ever took Mm -hmm. a test to find out. I I don't think Pottermore was a thing Mm -hmm. at first. But a story that sticks with me from when I was in my early teens, I was at King's Island, which is in Cincinnati. It's an amusement park. And I was with my Aunt Kathy, my mom, my older brother, Marty, my younger brother, John, and my cousin, Jamie. We got in line to ride the pirate ship, which is literally a pirate ship that just swings back and forth like a pendulum. (laughs) And each time it gets higher and higher. And they have the seats set up so that half are facing one way and the others face the other way. So you actually look at the writers opposite you. Mm. And it was just customary to have a screaming contest during this. (laughs) Obviously, the best seats on those rides are the ones on the very end because you end up going up the highest. And naturally, those lines are also always the longest to Mm. get to those seats. But we waited for them because they're the best. And my older brother, Marty, and I took one end, and John and Jamie went on the other end, and we had to wait for several rounds to get to our turn, but then it's finally our turn, and we're getting on the ride, and Marty and I sit down, and we're facing my cousin and brother across from us, and I see these two teenage boys that were a little bit older than me literally kick them off the ride. And I'm just like, oh, hell no. (laughs) And I push the lap bar up, and I just march on over there, And I start yelling at them because I was like, no, like we have been waiting our turn. We are a family. We're trying to be on this ride at a time. We've been waiting. You can wait your turn too. Or if you're so desperate to get on the ride right now, there's four seats. You can just ride with the little kids. Oh man. And because I was like blocking the ride from being able to start where I was standing, the boys actually got up and got off the ride and gave my brother and my cousin their seats back. Damn right they did. (laughs) My older brother and my mom and my aunt were just sitting on the opposite end with their mouths hanging open because I was like 13 (laughs) when I did this. And they just... Goddess. They were like, I did not know Ellen did assertive things like that. And I was like, you don't fuck with my family or my friends. (laughs) I mean, I didn't say that as a 13-year-old, but that was the sentiment. Oh my God. So uh, that's, that's, that's one of my most Gryffindor moments from my childhood that I can remember. But another slightly and more recent Gryffindor thing about me is when I started my like adult life and career as a teacher, I got my first teaching job in Cincinnati. And after a year and thanks to budget cuts, the position was eliminated. So I found myself needing to find another job. And I just kind of started applying for teaching positions anywhere that I at least knew one person. 
And I ended up getting a job right outside of Wichita, Kansas. And I just up and moved there by myself. It was 13 hours away from my home. And I just rented a moving truck, loaded up all of my stuff, and drove my car towing behind a moving truck out there. And I lived there for two years and decided that Kansas was not my place. And I wanted to move to Nashville. So I just up and moved to Nashville. I didn't even have a job or anything. I just made another 12-hour cross-the-country move. And I feel like that's a pretty Gryffindor thing to do. It's kind of reckless. It's definitely brave. But it all worked out. And now here I am in Cleveland because I kind (laughs) of did it again. (laughs) Hey, Cleveland is great. I love Cleveland. I do too. But yeah, so that's my background on Gryffindor. Following the alphabet, we can move on to Hufflepuff. Yeah. So I am the Hufflepuff of the group. I'm a very proud Hufflepuff. And my ultimate goal is to convince all the Hufflepuff haters that Hufflepuff (laughs) is in a shitty house. That's my goal here. (laughs) So my founder is Helga Hufflepuff. My head of house is Pomona Sprout. Our colors are yellow and black. Our mascot is a badger. And our ghost is the Fat Friar. Now, we're going to talk about the common room because J.K. Rowling did us dirty and didn't allow Harry to go there, which I think is total BS. So our common room is on the same floor as the kitchens, which is one level below the ground floor. And so to get Mm -hmm. into the common room, there's basically a stack of barrels off to the right from the kitchens. And you have to tap on the barrel two up from the bottom and in the middle of the second row to the rhythm of Helga Hufflepuff. So Helga Hufflepuff. Hmm. Now this is awesome. So Hufflepuff is like the only common room that has major security. And we see this because, you know, anybody can get into Slytherin or Gryffindors if they know the password. And if you're smart enough, which Ravenclaws are smart, but they're not the only ones who could get the question right to get in because we see in Deathly Hallows that McGonagall answers the riddle correctly. So the other houses don't have security measures to keep others out, unlike Hufflepuff. And what happens here is if you tap the wrong barrel or tap the wrong rhythm, the person trying to get in gets doused with vinegar, which is fantastic. That would definitely dissuade that, people. That would definitely that put dissuade me off that people. Ever, I would basically. Think. Although, if you were covered in fleas, it might be helpful, and maybe that's the thing to do. Okay, but then I would just smell like vinegar and still have some lingering fleas, so I'm not okay with that either. You'd be surprised how well vinegar kills fleas. Okay, but I'd still smell like vinegar, so... (laughs) But just keep rolling. (laughs) I also love this, too, because I'm very musical and all about rhythm, so if you have no sense of rhythm whatsoever... You're not getting into this common room. I am pretty white. I might not make it in. Hmm. Yeah, I probably wouldn't either. (laughs) To be honest, I can't even clap. Like, I can't clap on count. It's so bad. (laughs) So once you get into the Hufflepuff common room, it is round and super cozy, low ceiling, very earthy. We have round windows that show a view of swishing grass and dandelions, which is awesome. And you occasionally see passing feet, which I think is so funny because we're so low in the castle. 
Also, there are plants everywhere from the ceiling, on window seals. There are cactuses on wooden shelves that wave and dance, which I think is adorable. And there's also a picture of Helga Hufflepuff on the wooden mantelpiece. And it has carvings of badgers on it. And in the picture, Helga is toasting her students with her double-handled golden cup. So this is like a fabulous place. It's very sunny and cozy and we have overstuffed sofas and chairs where we can hang out. And also there are circular doors that lead into the dormitories. In these dormitories, we have copper lamps that cast a warm glow over our four posters, which are covered with patchwork quilts. And we also have copper bed warmers. So while you guys are up in the towers freezing your butts off, we have literally warmers that we can just like stick <laughs> We have down thick there. blankets. <laughs> yeah, we have thick blankets. So I am so sad that Harry never gets to visit this. Yeah, I feel like Harry should have gotten to visit the Hufflepuff common room. Mm-hmm. I wish we would have been able to see it. There's so many ways they could have done it. They could have had Cedric take Harry there to tell him about the Tribe of the Tournament. All the times they went down and goblet and stuff with the house elves like they're right by it he could have gone there to find justin finch fletchley and gotten a glimpse of it at least yeah exactly true it just makes me so mad whatever that's how much people don't like hufflepuff i guess we like hufflepuff so next we're going to talk about the traits a little bit so from the sorting hat song in sorcerer's stone it says you might belong in hufflepuff where they are just and loyal those patient Hufflepuffs are true and unafraid of toil. So we're loyal, we're trustworthy, we're very patient, we're everyone's best friend. And also I like to add that we're very accepting and hardworking. And also we're not intimidated by anything. And I think this is something that not many people know about Hufflepuff because we're the nice ones we keep to ourselves. But if somebody pisses us off, or goes after us, a friend, a family member, whatever, like we will totally stick up for ourselves, stick up for the people we love. So we're not ones to cross. Also, I'd like to add that people say that Hufflepuffs aren't clever, which is bullshit. I'm a Hufflepuff and I'm very smart. So that makes me mad that people think that. And I think people say this because, like I said, we kind of keep to ourselves and we're not a very boastful house. People don't think we're smart, but we are. And Hufflepuff has turned out just as many amazing witches and wizards as the other house. And on this note, I would like to add that since we are so nice and caring and loyal and trustworthy, Hufflepuff has produced the least dark wizards. Take that. Those are facts. <laughs> Irrefutable. Facts. Lily facts. <laughs> so unfortunately, there are very few notable Hufflepuffs in the series, which isn't a big surprise, but I'm going to talk about three. First of them being Pomona Sprout. She is head of Hufflepuff House, and she's also the herbology professor. She is described as a squat little witch with gray flyaway hair. And because she is a herbology professor, her robes and fingernails are often earthy, and she also wears a patched hat. My favorite thing about Professor Sprout that I want to talk about that really shows how Hufflepuff she is has to do with my dearest Neville. I'll be surprised. <laughs> so basically, she is, I feel, the only professor. McGonagall could be one too, but Sprout is truly the only one that 
encouraged him so much. And this really showed after Moody, aka Barty Crouch Jr.'s Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson on the Unforgivable Curses in Goblet, because after Neville was obviously shaken up over the Cruciatus Curse, and Moody gives him the book Magical Water Plants of the Mediterranean. And I think this is absolutely incredible, first of all, because Neville doesn't get complimented by anybody. And to hear that a teacher thinks he's good at something must have been, like, the most amazing thing ever. And Neville also goes on to be the herbology professor at Hogwarts after he graduates. So Professor Sprout definitely played a role in that and her kindness and caring and belief in him and her true Hufflepuff at heart allowed him to do that. Yeah, I love her. I really do Mm -hmm. like her. She's a very smart woman. I always think about the Devil's Snare in Sorcerer's Stone when I think of Professor Sprout. Yeah, and think about the Battle of Hogwarts, too. Like, she just brings out all these plants, rounds up her students, and they help to, you know, take down the Death Eaters. So I feel like Herbology as a whole, like, the class is kind of overlooked, too. It's like, oh, they're just plants, blah, blah, blah. But who's the one who did the mandrakes and everything to save those who are petrified in chamber? It was Professor Sprout. So I feel like she's very overlooked just because she's not in it as much, but Professor Sprout's amazing. So next on the list is Cedric Diggory. And yes, he's gorgeous. And he's an amazing seeker and captain on the Hufflepuff Quidditch team. But he was also very kind and a true Hufflepuff. First instance we see this is after that Quidditch match in Prisoner when Harry falls off his broom. Cedric felt so guilty. He was like, all right, we can do a rematch, but they didn't. Um, but he was, like, super bothered by that. He didn't think he won fairly, and that just shows that Hufflepuffs are all about fairness. And even when his dad was boasting about this in Goblet at the beginning when they were going to the Quidditch World Cup, Cedric knew that wasn't something to boast about because it's not a good thing what happened to Harry. Also, in Goblet of Fire during the Triwizard Tournament, Cedric could have been hella pissed off that Harry was made a champion too, but instead of wearing a Potter Stinks badge and tormenting Harry over it, they ended up supporting each other and they became allies. And, you know, Harry helped Cedric with the first task with the dragons. Cedric helped Harry out with the second one with the people. And that just shows how Cedric is truly a team player. And he's also very noble, too, because at the end, when we see them take the cup together, he didn't think he had a fair shot here either. Because the spider dropped Harry, Harry got hurt, and Cedric saw the unfairness in that. Unfortunately, when they took the cup together, Cedric died. But I just feel like he is a really good representation of what Hufflepuff's all about. And honestly, come on, why did he have to die? Why did she have to kill one of the most prominent Hufflepuffs in the series? Like, I don't understand. We didn't even know him that well. Because he wasn't really in the first couple books. He was only in, like, the fourth, really. Someone had to die of Voldemort's Rising. If it wasn't Harry, it had to be somebody else, because then it wouldn't have been that impactful, really. It was very symbolic of Voldemort's return and the terror that Mm -hmm. would bring and the dark turn the series would take. Yeah, plus his death motivates Harry to fight Voldemort, too. Like, his, his death is a motivator. Yeah, I know. For Harry. Right. But in order to show just how bad it is, they had to take away something that was so good. Yeah, but it's just really sad because they even say like in the book somewhere that Cedric becoming a Hogwarts champion for the Tribes of the Tournament was glory for Hufflepuff House that they haven't had in so long. Yeah. And then that ends so tragically. 
for them and I just feel really bad but you have a good point it, it's definitely symbolic because let's face it if that was Victor Crumb like we would have been sad but not too sad if that was like a bad Slytherin sorry Katie we Rude. wouldn't have cared but like <laughs> it's Cedric and he proved to be such a nice amazing person and this just shows too like how Voldemort doesn't care who he kills yeah Mm-hmm. All right, lastly, my friends, we're going to talk about Nymphadora Tonks, which can I just say I am so freaking happy that she is in my house. I love her. She is fantastic. I am a little jealous. You guys are jealous, I know. I, I am, actually. I was hoping she was <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> so about Tonks, she has so many Hufflepuff traits, and I feel like out of the three that I'm talking about, I feel like she shows the most Hufflepuff and she, we know her the longest. So Tonks is very loyal. She's an Auror. She's a member of the Order of the Phoenix. And just being part of those two groups, she's constantly fighting the Dark Arts. And that just shows that she's loyal to the good side, loyal to Dumbledore. And later we learn that she's very, very loyal to Harry. Also, she is very accepting. She doesn't care what anybody else thinks. And this shows personally with her, you know, being a metamorph magus and her rocking her bubblegum pink hair, which is awesome. But also with Lupin, because think about it. He's a werewolf. He is judged by 90% of the wizarding community. And he didn't think that he was deserving of love and to be with her. And she was like, look, I love you the way you are. Stop being an idiot. I don't care if you're a werewolf. So she was very frustrated over the fact that he didn't want to be with her because of who he was. And I love how they got together. I love how they had little Teddy. We love it. And one more thing I like to say about Tongs is she's very hardworking and unafraid of toil because, come on, to be an Auror, the classes you have to take, you have to bust your butt, the training, all of that. She was so hardworking, and we learn in the books that Tongs is very clumsy, but did that stop her from busting her butt and becoming an amazing R? No, it didn't. So all around, Tongs is an amazing Hufflepuff. Again, why did we have to kill her in the Battle of Hogwarts? Why? I get Teddy is kind of like the new Harry, you know, he lost both his parents, and I'm still waiting for the Teddy Lupin spinoff series, <laughs> but I just wish that Tongs didn't have to die she was probably the best of the hufflepuffs that were mentioned in the series i feel like the odd person out because i kind of don't i don't i mean it's not that i don't like tonks i'm just not it's okay guys i'll edit this out <laughs> we're not friends anymore <laughs> i mean i fully expect this to just be about the main three houses so don't worry about me over here <laughs> No, but, like, honestly, like, she's such a good representation of Hufflepuff. I feel like we're loving of each other and, like, who we are, too. So I feel like it's important to have somebody who's quirky and everything because that's part of Hufflepuff, being accepting and, like... Yeah, it's, like, being loyal to yourself. Yeah, being loyal to yourself and not being afraid of that. No, but one of the things I really like about Tonks, too, is that she is so happy a majority of the time now except for the time when Sirius passed away and she wasn't very happy but she was so resilient because she was able to move on despite the loss of her cousin and it was just so admirable because we all go through that in our lives you know someone passes away or a depressing situation happens and she just handled it so well 
she just bounced back and she fought the good fight and that's why i love tong so much yeah so first loyalty is a big one for me i don't put up with anybody's bullshit like if somebody messes with me if somebody messes with one of my friends i'm loyal to myself i'm loyal to the people i love and i stick up for that and i stick up for myself so loyalty is a big one for me i'll stand by somebody no matter what also i'm very trustworthy over the years i've always been the one who friends will come to when they're going through stuff because they know that i'll listen and i'll be caring and understanding and they'll also know that i'll keep it to myself like when somebody trusts me with something personal i'm not going to go blabbing it to everybody else like they can be sure that that secret is safe with me i am also very accepting just from personal reasons like growing up i was judged a lot i was bullied a lot to the point where i've literally gone to teachers and principals over stuff i've skipped school sometimes because of it so i've always learned to like embrace who you are and like you everybody has flaws everybody has their differences and from my own personal experiences with mistreatment i found myself being able to like accept everybody better and also going along with this is patience because sometimes when you meet somebody who is going through something has a disability has any kind of thing like that that they live with on a daily basis it's easy to get frustrated with them and not give them a chance and I've always been the person to, because I experienced that myself, give everybody a chance and take them for who they are and understand them. And this goes for self-love too, like being patient with yourself and embracing that and loving yourself. And lastly, hardworking. I worked my ass off school. I had two double majors. I was an English major and a music major. I was also in the honors program. I graduated summa cum laude, which was a big accomplishment for me. Now I'm getting my master's in writing popular fiction and I've been dedicated more than ever to my songwriting. So I'm very hardworking in everything I do. I don't do anything halfway. So yeah. I am 100% a Hufflepuff. That is awesome. Around. And congratulations. Nice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Next in the alphabet. All right. That's me. Hi, guys. It's Jess. It's time to talk about Ravenclaw. Our founder is Rowena Ravenclaw. Our head of house is Professor Phileas Flitwick. Say that five times fast. It's a really cool name. Our colors are blue and bronze, unlike the movies. <laughs> Our mascot is an eagle, also unlike the movies, and eagles are better. Fight me on that. <laughs> uh, none of us here will. Nope. Because we all agree with you. Eagles are wise birds, and that's the whole point. Well, they were chosen because they can soar higher than any other birds. Yeah, yeah. and ravens suck. Okay, yep. because ravens are like the death omen <laughs> birds. Like, I don't like ravens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also scary looking. Eagles are nice and... It baffles me that Universal screwed this up. Yeah, they really did. They really did us dirty. But, I mean, I guess it really works for me because blue is my favorite color, so... That was not planned at all. <laughs> Our ghost is Helena Ravenclaw, a.k.a. the Grey Lady. And I think it really stinks that we didn't really talk to her until the last book. Harry was like, oh, I need something from you. I'm finally going to talk to you. And I feel like yeah. 
maybe she could have come to nearly headless nick's death day party and we could have talked to her there like there's so many instances we could have talked to her yeah it would have been nice to have a little more foreshadowing about her importance yeah it was kind of out of the blue it was like an afterthought and then again we were cheated because we didn't go to the tower until the seventh book i mean Oh, be quiet. We don't go to the Hufflepuff one at all. Yeah, but like the seventh book at the very end, it's like an afterthought. Harry's like, oh, I'm back at Hogwarts. I might as well explore another part of the castle I haven't been to yet. Come on. Whatever. Well, and that only happened because that was his only clue. Yeah, exactly. But at least we got there. But anyway. So Ravenclaw Tower is located on the west side of the castle where the sun sets, which I think is cool. I love sunsets, so... There you go. The entrance is at the top of a tightly winding spiral staircase that leads up from the fifth floor. This is totally me, you guys. I love spiral staircases. They're so pretty. <laughs> I get dizzy. I probably fall on my face. I used to be afraid of them. Yeah, me too. I yeah. I, I don't mind going up them, but going down them, man, I get. I love the look of them, but I'm a little bit afraid yeah, of them. Same. So there's that. The only downside, though, is I don't think you can slide down the banister, because then you'd really hurt yourself. Well, not with an attitude like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, though, spiral staircases are so cool. But you're right, they do make you dizzy. Maybe they're meant to make you dizzy so you can't answer the question at the top. Oh, there you go. Speaking of- I think they're just a space saver. That, too. That's less fun. <laughs> not to mention the fact that when you're in a tower- it's the only way to gradually increase the incline. I guess so. <laughs> Without it just being like a ladder. Yeah, uh, yeah that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah I don't like yeah. ladders. I would take a spiral staircase over a ladder. Oh, yeah, definitely. 100%. Yeah, I'm like a little bit afraid of heights, so if you made me go up a ladder, there's no way I would do that. Anyways, so the door has neither handle nor keyhole but a talking bronze knocker in the shape of an eagle. Yes. So to enter Ravenclaw Tower, you must answer the knocker's abstract question. If you answer correctly, the knocker will compliment you and the door will open. If you don't answer correctly, you have to wait until someone gets the correct answer so you learn, which is awesome. And it's kind of like Gryffindor where you literally have to wait for help. <laughs> Which kind of stinks if you have a lot of homework in there and you can't get in there. Yeah, my question, though, is, like, what if you're, like, so freaking stressed out? You can't think straight. You just had one of Snape's stupid potions exams. Your brain's white. And you're like, I don't want to answer a stupid freaking riddle. Like, just let me in the damn door. If you don't want to answer a riddle, you shouldn't be in Ravenclaw. Just saying. Yeah. So the knocker's voice is soft and musical which is awesome, kind of reminds me of Luna's voice. And in Deathly Hollows, the knocker asks Harry and Luna, which came first, the phoenix or the flame? Harry just wants to get in there at this point, and he's like, what do you mean we have to give an answer? <laughs> Luna says, a circle has no beginning. I think that's pretty cool. That makes mm-hmm. sense, though, because if you think of a phoenix, it's reborn from its ashes, so it's basically the circle of life. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Fun fact, this riddle is actually the inspiration for our logo. Mm -hmm. The Just Keep Rolling logo is a phoenix in a circle. With flames coming off the tails. Yeah, the tails, the flames. So it just sort of 
Nice. It cool. just keeps rolling, if you will. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> That's adorable. I love how punny you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta be good at something. The common room is literally paradise. It's decorated in blue and bronze silk wall hangings and a midnight blue carpet decorated with stars. So, like all the common rooms, it has the house colors. And the room is wide, circular, and very airy with a domed ceiling painted with stars and walls with graceful arched windows that provide a view of the surrounding mountains. Yeah, I'd be down with living there. It does sound really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd be, like, at the top of the world. Yeah, but I don't know. I like being down in my cozy corner and ram away from everybody else. Fine, then you're not invited. <laughs> oh, I don't want to be invited. You guys can have your own party in the Ravenclaw common room where I'm eating all the food and you guys can starve. And I'm not letting you have the food in the kitchen. I'll tell the house elves not to give it to you. <laughs> that is not very Hufflepuff of you. Right? I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Hufflepuffs are supposed to share and care. But no, seriously, the common room is like an intellectual retreat. Like, I would love to be at the top yeah. of the mountain. That would be my second after Hufflepuff, though. Like, it'd be, I'd probably want to do Hufflepuff first, then Ravenclaw, then Gryffindor, then Slytherin. You know, you're showing a bit of bias over there. <laughs> yeah. So we are stocked, you guys. We got tables, bookcases, chairs, and opposite the entrance is another door leading to the dormitories. Beside this door is a plinth on which stands a life-size statue in white marble of Rowena Ravenclaw wearing her diadem. The words, wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure, are etched into the statue's crown. <laughs> Super cool! So, the traits from the Sorting Hat song in the Sorcerer's Stone, he says, Or yet in wise old Ravenclaw, if you've a ready mind, where those of wit and learning will always find their kind. Like we saw with Rowena Ravenclaw's crown, the motto is, wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure. And since they're wise, it rhymes. <laughs> and I love rhymes. <laughs> so I'd argue that many Ravenclaws are quiet and humble, while some are outspoken, like Luna. Um, they are a bit odd, they think outside the box, and they use their intelligence to make good choices and help others. They also have more talents than just being book smart. So, let's talk about some notable characters, the first one being Luna Lovegood, who is my favorite character of all time. Luna is definitely odd. She wears radish earrings and a necklace of butterbeer caps. She reads the quibbler upside down. She has a lion hat that roars, <laughs> and she wears it when Gryffindor and Slytherin play Quidditch. I love her eagle hat, too. Yeah, I love her eagle hat, and I love her commentary. <laughs> her commentary is the best. Her commentary was amazing. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> so, Luna thinks outside the box, as we just heard when she answered the eagle knocker's question, and she was also the one who suggested that the diadem was the last horcrux, and took Harry to look at the statue of Rowena Ravenclaw with her diadem in the common room. Everybody's like, oh, it's lost. That's not the Horcrux. She's like, um, yeah, it is. Like, what else would it be? It's sitting right in your face. It has to be it. They're like, no, it's not. It's been lost for centuries. Well, she was right. So go, Luna. <laughs> Wit beyond measure. 
Yeah, she's also the one to suggest that they fly on Thestrals in Order of the Phoenix. So, go Luna. Luna is outspoken. She constantly tells people what she thinks even if they don't want to hear it. So, the Crumpled Horn Snork Hack exists. Yes, it does, because my dad said so, and I believe what he says, and I also believe other outlandish things. She tells Harry that she believes the Dark Lord is back, and she actually stands beside him when no one else did in Order of the Phoenix, which is awesome. I think another good example of this trait is how she'd just flat out be like, about Ron. He says funny things, but he can also be kind of cruel. Yeah, she yeah, just says just... it so, like, matter-of-factly and casually that, you know, which is great. Mm-hmm. So, Luna is humble. She could have gloated to others about how she and Harry were right, the Dark Lord was back, and people didn't believe her, but they should have. But she didn't, because she's great. Luna makes awesome decisions, because she's smart. She takes what she learns from the DA, and she fights beside Harry and the gang in the Battle of Hogwarts and in the Battle of the Department of Mysteries. Plus, let's also say that Luna is multi-talented. Not only is she a good fighter, but she also becomes a naturalist after Deathly Hollows and catalogs all of these creatures, which is really cool. Plus, if you look at the painting in her bedroom in Deathly Hollows, that's serious talent right there. I think because Harry said that even though they weren't moving like magical paintings, they still seem to breathe. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite quotes yeah. of all time about her. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the second Ravenclaw that is just, eh, I will say. Cho Chang. <laughs> um, she's stereotypical in that she is smart and she's quiet, but she is multi-talented because she's a good seeker on the Ravenclaw Quidditch team. And she does make the smart decision of joining Dumbledore's army in Order of the Phoenix. She recognizes that she needs to learn to defend herself against the Death Eaters. So she wasn't blindsided by Umbridge's crap that she was given out, like, oh, the Dark Lord's not here. So that's good, at least. But she invited Marietta along, and we all know how that turned out. (laughs) I didn't say all the decisions were good. I said that some of them were. (laughs) (laughs) And we cannot forget that we also have Professor Phileas Flitwick as a Ravenclaw. He's great. I love him. Professor Flitwick, the charms teacher, was a tiny little wizard who had to stand on a pile of books to see over his desk. He's so cute! Adorable. (laughs) He's so cute. And the fact that he squeaks is just so cute. I want to take his class. Like, out of all the classes, I want class with Flitwick. I want to take charms with him. Yeah, I want to learn the charm to make the teacups walk across the table. (laughs) So, anyway, like we said, his appearance is a little bit odd, so there's the Ravenclaw trait. He's always heard by his students, so he might not be considered outspoken, but his students really do listen and seem to respect him. He's never boasted about his intelligence, and he's only helped students with their charms. Like, he comes over and talks to the students, unlike Snape does, and is like, here, let's refocus, let's figure this out, and doesn't yell at Harry and Ron and Hermione for just talking and mostly Ron and Harry doing nothing during his class. He's just like, (laughs) let's figure out a way to help you here. So yes, he's a great teacher. And he never hesitates to fight for what is right to keep his students safe. 
So in Prisoner of Azkaban, he teaches the front doors to recognize a picture of Sirius Black. That's pretty cool. I love that. We stand. Yeah, he is really (laughs) great. And then in Deathly Hollows, when Snape stops Professor McGonagall in a corridor after she leaves the Ravenclaw common room with Luna and Harry, Snape asks McGonagall if she's seen Harry and she attacks him. And then Professors Flitwick, Sprout, and Slughorn join in the fight with Flitwick saying, No! You'll do no more murder at Hogwarts. But then later, (laughs) Flitwick approaches the window and he starts casting protective spells across the grounds while Harry asks him about the diadem. He's so skilled. He really is. He's just like, okay, it's time to protect the castle. I'm just going to stand here and I'm going to do it. Like, I got Mm -hmm. this for you. Also, he says, a little (laughs) extra wisdom never goes amiss. I love that quote. It's very true. It really is. And mm-hmm. very Ravenclaw. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. And then finally, Flitwick fights Yaxley and Dolohov in the Battle of Hogwarts. So for a little man, he's pretty fierce. I love him. Tiny, but fierce. <laughs> Never underestimate the short people. <laughs> so here are some of my personal experiences as to why I think they did me right in sorting me into Ravenclaw. So, I like to believe that I'm smart. I graduated summa cum laude with a BA in creative writing, a minor in communications, and a certificate in genre writing in 2019. But like other Ravenclaws, I don't boast about my intelligence. I'm grateful for my marks, and honestly, I just want to keep learning. I'll never quench my thirst for knowledge. My favorite thing to say is learn something new every day because I always do. And I know that's so cliche, but I just love saying it. (laughs) It's very Ravenclaw of you. Mm -hmm. It really is. (laughs) As a creative writing major, I think outside the box and I try to come up with stories with unexpected endings because if the ending is unexpected, then it's a way better story. I agree. Mm -hmm. Also, many people tell me that I'm weird and one of... One embarrassing example I can give is my obsession with the smell of books. That is not as weird as you think. I love the smell of books. (laughs) Books are awesome. Books smell amazing. It's one of the reasons why I had a really hard time embracing this whole concept of digital books. Mm -hmm. So don't be embarrassed. Same here. You are in good company. (laughs) I'm glad. (laughs) I actually will go into a bookstore to inhale the scent of books and... I go up to a new or old book, depending on which one I can grab, and I love to smell the pages just because I can. It's fantastic. Also, when I was little, I think I told you guys I'm visually impaired, so I don't read print, I read braille, or I listen to books, so I didn't understand the concept of, like, putting your nose in a book, because they're like, oh, there's such a book where I'm putting their nose in a book, so I literally, like, would sit there and, like, grab a book and, like, put my nose in it, I'm like... Am I doing this right? Like, am I reading correctly? (laughs) (laughs) Now, that one's a little more embarrassing, but... (laughs) But adorable nonetheless. I was, like, little, so it wasn't my fault. I just wanted to understand why they said it. Like, Mm -hmm. I also buy books, like, print books, because I like the covers, and I think that they're pretty, and I also like to smell the pages. (laughs) And also, when you have a set of books, they just look so nice next to each other. (laughs) Ravenclaw. Yeah. So I'm also outspoken. People definitely don't like when I state the obvious or make a suggestion that they wish they had thought of by themselves. I try to use what I've learned to make good choices. 
I've never cheated on a test and I often use what I know to give others advice. Lastly, I'm multi-talented. I write short stories. I'm working on an idea for a YA fantasy novel and I compose free verse poetry about nature. I also knit and make pottery. You are just so well That is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to the best for last, Slytherin. Mm. Just saying. <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> Uncalled for unnecessary. <laughs> I didn't I didn't boo when you were droning on about Hufflepuff. <laughs> Alright. So our head of house is Professor Severus Snape. Well, it was until the spring of 1997, and then Horace Slughorn obviously took over. Um, our founder, Salazar Slytherin. Our colors are green and silver, which complement my skin tone very well. I'm not. I think that is a really cool brag, color combination. That is really cool. That was my wedding color combination, so I'm I'm sticking with it. Aww, I love it. So yeah, that's probably one yep. of my favorite color combinations out of all of them. Our mascot is a serpent, and the serpent, obviously, is an allusion to Salazar Slytherin being a parcel mouth as well, as just being cool, albeit scary as fuck. And also Slytherin, Slytherin, Snake Slither. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Snakes scare me. Yeah, I don't like them either, and so imagine how I feel having to be around them all the time. <laughs> Our ghost is the Bloody Baron who was bloody for a very good reason, and it's kind of gross. And because he killed, he killed Helena Ravenclaw and then himself, and that's just sad. Boo hiss. I, I only like him because he can keep peeves away. That's the only reason why I like him. We come in handy occasionally, I'm just saying. The Slytherin common room is a low-ceilinged dungeon-like room with greenish lamps and chairs with skulls all around because, you know. We like being creepy. <laughs> it's located under the lake and has tapestries decorated with scenes from the lives of famous Slytherins. According to the Slytherin House introduction letter on Pottermore, formerly Pottermore, sorry, the beds in the dormitories are four posters with green silk hangings, because we're sexy like that, <laughs> <laughs> and covers embroidered with silver threads. Ooh. You can hear the soothing sound of the lake lapping against the windows at night. But personally, I think that might just make me need to pee all the time. <laughs> I love that, though. That's my favorite thing so about the Southern Palmer Room, is you can, like, see into the lake and everything. That would be awesome. I love the aesthetic of it. I just feel like the Slytherin Common Room has to just smell like leather and books and... Lake water. Wa yeah, just like that. So, yeah, that makes me happy. Slytherins are known for being cunning, ambitious, a little smart alecky, you know, a little bit kind of dicks. <laughs> we can be dicks. <laughs> but sometimes it's not just to be a dick. <laughs> you know, sometimes people are dicks just to be dicks. <laughs> and that's not all Slytherins. Sometimes we're dicks for a purpose. <laughs> you have a purpose. My autobiography is titled Dick with a Purpose, so, you know, I'll just go with that. Slytherins are so sarcastic, though. See? I will give you that. I do like the sarcasm that I see in Slytherins. <laughs> Some notable Slytherins. First and foremost, I gotta bring up Merlin, because he's fucking Merlin. Wait, like, Merlin was a Slytherin? Merlin was a Slytherin. Merlin was a Slytherin, cool. son. I didn't know that. Yep. That's awesome. He was a charm specialist, 
sometimes known as the Prince of Enchanters. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, there are sayings after him, like Merlin's beard and whatnot. That's so cool. I didn't know that. Boom. See, we're not all bad. Told you. Guess not. <laughs> he believed that wizards should help muggles and therefore created the Order of Merlin to support laws protecting and benefiting muggles. That's awesome. So there's that. Wow, there's a good Slytherin! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the surprise is unnecessary. <laughs> then we also have Horace Slughorn, Professor Horace Slughorn. He's a bit of a name dropper, yep. isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I also feel that on the other end of that, there's nothing wrong with being proud of the people that you know and the people that you've that. met. Well, they weren't just people that he knew and met. They were people that he helped. Well, exactly. He was a great teacher, too. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. It wasn't just, like, name drop. I mean, he name dropped <laughs> name drop, for sure. Especially when faced with someone else that he wanted to impress. But... Well, that yeah. was his ambitious side, but he earned the ability to name drop. Exactly. True. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, it's not like he's just, oh, I met so-and-so at an, at an Arby's last week. Like, <laughs> no. I taught Gwenog Jones, and I get tickets to the Hollyhead Harpies whenever I feel the need to take in a game. Imagine and that's just fun. Imagine Slughorn with social media, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. He'd have all the likes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I believe his most used hashtag would be humblebrag. <laughs> I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> so yeah, he was ambitious. He's incredibly intelligent. I wonder if Slughorn taught Snape. He did. He, he did. did. Mm -hmm. Really? He did. Yeah. Yeah, he specifically said, he brought up how talented Harry was in potions and said, I don't think even you, Severus. Yeah. So. Oh! Yeah, he definitely taught Snape. Speaking of Snape, he's another notable Slytherin, obviously. He is, well, you love him or you hate him, don't you? We actually have done a whole episode on this before. <laughs> we have. So I'm not going to go too far in depth with him. But basically, he is, Ellen likes to call him one of the ultimate gray characters. Just true gray, because he's not bad, he's not good, yeah. Was he a shitty teacher? Hell yeah, he was. <laughs> he was a very shitty Hell teacher. Hell yeah, he was. I mean, maybe he probably should have just gone into the private sector. He should not interact with children. Yeah. Honestly, I think he made a good headmaster. Yeah. But I mean, you know, Snape, he did what he had to do when it came time to do it. Were his reasons always that straightforward? No, it was usually, you know, he went to the good side because Lily was killed. Technically, he went to the good side because she was threatened. Well, true. Yeah. That is true. True. But then she got killed and he was even more like, well, fuck that dude. Like. <laughs> no, I mean, so. they make it pretty clear that he was like, fuck that dude. The second Lily's life was in danger. Yeah. True. It was like his wake up call. He realized that he mm -hmm. really fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he did. He really fucked up. Yeah. He let his ambition get in the way. He just really wanted to do something to impress Voldemort yeah. and get in his good graces. But here's the thing. When he realized that he done fucked up, then he admitted to Dumbledore that he was wrong. Any means to achieve their ends. So you've got his end was he wanted to protect Lily. So he goes to Dumbledore and he's like, hey, dude, need your help. So obviously... 
if we're talking people who interacted closely with Harry, there's Draco Malfoy, who was kind of super douche. But here's the thing. (laughs) He was very much under his parents, uh, namely his father's control. Definitely. Basically. Not just control. His, like, his ambition, his motivation was... Yeah. To gain his father's approval. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's why he did everything shitty yeah. that he did. Yeah. Exactly. I, yeah. He's my second and, favorite character after Neville for that reason. I love his arc and he's amazing. Like, it's very much nature versus nurture with him. I feel like he realized at a certain point that he was in too deep. And he was not actually made to be a Death Eater. Like, he was not actually cool with that. Mm-hmm. But what do you do at that point? You know, so he did the only things that he could do while still staying alive. Yeah. Yeah. It was very much a self-preservation thing. And a huge Slytherin trait is self-preservation. So, yeah. And then, of course, everyone knows the worst Slytherin was Lord Voldemort. But he is pretty much self-explanatory. He was incredibly ambitious. He was incredibly self-serving. He was evil. Grade A, prime choice, fuckwit. (laughs) So, there's our notable Slytherins. The Sorting Hat describes Slytherin as, In Slytherin, you'll make your real friends. Those cunning folk use any means to achieve their ends. And that's pretty spot on for all the Slytherins that we've discussed. But it's also pretty spot on for me. (laughs) My only issue is that I'm a Slytherin with ADHD. So... I'm very ambitious, but I often forget why I'm being ambitious. <laughs> I'm hardworking. I value self-preservation. But here's the thing. I tend to work best under pressure. So I personally like to wait until the last minute to do everything. As Ellen can tell you. She likes to make me mad because it adds extra pressure on her. So she does her best work. For the record, I don't like to. it's just how i am and to be fair i don't actually get mad it's more of a panic (laughs) (laughs) however as you always like to say have i ever let you down she has never ever let me down boom it might be a little bit late but i always come through in the end i wouldn't even say late i would just say last minute there we go i like that even better because that makes me sound less like an asshole And also a lot of Slytherins have the gift for sarcasm. I don't know if you've caught on to this, but I like to think of myself as quite the sarcastic Sally. You definitely are. No. (laughs) (laughs) My gosh, I'm so surprised. Right? I know. You'd never know just to talk to me for five minutes at all. (laughs) But I'm also cunning in the way that I can step out of a situation a lot of times and find the right way to get somewhere. So, you know, where Gryffindors will charge in head first. I love you, Ellen. But Gryffindors will charge in head first. It's how we ended up with a podcast. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> However, if you recall, trying to get me to agree to the podcast was a lot of me going, uh, I gotta think about this. It was a lot of hemming and hawing. Katie waffled. Me. I did. I, she waffled I very a much lot. waffled. But... I mean, you won me over eventually. But... <laughs> it's because we're brilliant and this idea is awesome. <laughs> humble brag. <laughs> Hashtag humble brag. Yeah. I, admittedly, not as hardworking as you. You are the hardworkingest. Hardworkingest. Just keep rolling podcaster in the history of ever. <laughs> but 
I like to think that I bring my own kind of charisma and my own charm Definitely to the table. Definitely that charm. Not to mention massive sex appeal. <laughs> massive. <laughs> Why is there so much laughing? Because you're hilarious. <laughs> and sexy. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I will say that somebody made this quote. I don't know who it was, and I'm very sorry. But that Gryffindor would die for their friend, while a Slytherin would find a way for both of them to survive. Ooh, I like it. And I love that. Because that is kind of, like, I do treasure my friends. I am very loyal to my friends and my family. I would do anything for them. But I'm going to try to make sure that we both live at the end of the day. So I actually, as the Gryffindor, I cannot really argue that. But it's not because we don't want to be smarter and protect ourselves and our friend. It's because the second our friend is in danger, we charge in headfirst without thinking. Yeah, Yeah, that's so accurate. And that's okay. I'm just saying I myself will take a step back and go, oh, but maybe we should just kind of go back this way. Nope. And not head right into the I am that chihuahua that thinks it's a Doberman. And the (laughs) second that you threaten my friends, I am all that is beastly and will kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Except that I'm a chihuahua and I'll probably get smushed. (laughs) But I'll try. You know, and we love that about you. (laughs) All right, well, that wraps up all of our houses, and we're going to move into our Potter pondering. For this episode, we want to know which house you were sorted into and why you think it was the right house for you. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. And if you're feeling really inspired and haven't already shared it with us, go ahead and round out your response by adding in your wand Patronus and how you got into Harry Potter so we can share your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, too. Yeah, you can email that to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com or comment under our tag post on our Facebook page at JKR Podcast. And this will bring us to this week's trivia question, which will be read to us by Jess. Which is the only common room that Harry doesn't enter? Hint, we've talked about this in the episode. And Jimmy bitched about it for a good five minutes. So let's see if you were paying attention. If you know the answer, head to our Facebook page at JKR Podcast and find the post. Comment under the post with the answer and the code word hashtag Hogwarts4. The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you're an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, then as a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. We are going to continue creating more Potterheads of History episodes, and you can become a patron to gain access to those future episodes, along with other perks. If you would like to support us as a patron for those perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. Any support you can give is, as always, greatly appreciated. And you can check out our website at justkeeprolling.com to see what our patrons have helped us create so far and get yourself some swag and other Harry Potter-related merch. Thank you to Jess and Demi for joining us and making this such an awesome episode. Can you tell our keepers where they can find you? You can find us on all of the podcast platforms by searching the Half-Blood Princesses, a Harry Potter podcast, 
We post episodes every other Friday on topics all about the Harry Potter series. And you can find us on social on Twitter and Instagram at HBPrincessesPod and on Facebook and YouTube, the Half Blood Princesses, a Harry Potter podcast. Awesome. And if you check them out, you may recognize some voices on their first episode all about Harry's first time going to Hogwarts. <laughs> Thanks again for recording with us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. This was so fun. And we hope that everyone listening had as much fun as we did. Join us for the next episode coming out this Friday when we talk about Chapter 10, The Marauder's Map, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. rolling.